Good morning. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for this morning, Pastor Will Spokes. Uh, Will served with RUF for, for nine years, seven of that at uh, <coughs> Duke University. Sorry, I'm a Jayhawk. It's hard for me to do that. Um, he, uh, he served as the outreach minister at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, and he currently serves where he's been for two years as the senior pastor at Red Mountain Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He and his wife Megan have four children. Uh, Will, we're really glad you could be with us. Can you please give a warm Scots welcome to Pastor Will Spokes. Well, good morning. Yeah, I get that a lot. Duke, we're the, we're the people everybody loves to hate. So I'm used to that. I'm okay with that. Um, well, I'm uh, delighted to be here. Uh, your president, Derek Halverson, and I are um, good friends. We've known each other for a number of years, and uh, I'm sad he's not here uh, to be with us this morning, but um, you're in good hands uh, with him at the helm. Uh, what I want to talk to you today about is I want to I ask a question and get you to think about it with me. I want to ask a question, and here's the question. What kind of Christians do we need today? What kind of Christians do we need today? I think this is a question that Christians talk about all the time. And some would say that we need Christians who are more socially engaged or more culturally influential or more politically active or more faithfully present, all of which I think the answer should be yes. We need more Christians like that. However, secular people are just as interested in this question, but from a very different point of view. And this is a point of view that I experienced day in and day out as a campus minister at Duke University. And the point of view that the secular person comes from is that religion is dangerous. And when it's taken too seriously, it inevitably leads to oppression and if left unchecked long enough to outright war and violence. And so whether you're sitting here today and you would consider yourself as a follower of Jesus, or you're here this morning and you're skeptical, maybe you did grow up in the church and yet it's still something that you find hard to embrace and believe and call your own. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or a skeptic, the answer that we give to this question, what kind of Christians do we need today, it, it affects every one of us. And as an example, I want to commend to you a piece that I found uh, during uh, when I was in seminary from a previous generation written by uh, Albert Camus, who was a French atheist existentialist philosopher. And in 1948, Camus was invited to speak at the Dominican monastery of La Tour Malbourg. I don't speak French, so if you do, and I messed that up, my apologies. But he was invited to speak as an atheist, an existentialist philosopher to a bunch of Catholics at a monastery. And he titled his lecture, Unbelievers and Christians. And at the time, with the recent atrocities of World War II, looming over European life, 
Camus honestly admitted that he doesn't share the Christian hope. And yet he writes, what I feel like telling you today is that the world needs real dialogue. That falsehood is just as much the opposite of dialogue as silence. And that the only possible dialogue is the kind between people who remain what they are and speak their minds. And in particular, he has in mind Christians who were waffling and afraid to actually hold to what they say they believe, to be who they are. And here we have an atheist philosopher just after World War II asking Christians to do that very same thing. So what kind of Christians do we need today who remain what they are, but do so in a way that blesses others? And to answer that, I want want to highlight three traits that we see in the pages of the New Testament that I think are necessary for the kind of Christians that we need today. The first is, we need Christians who are flexible. The second is, we need Christians who are unflexible or inflexible. And we need Christians who carry with them at the core of their being a message of freedom for everyone. So flexibility, inflexibility, and a message of freedom for everyone. So first, let's consider this idea of flexibility. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes this, and I'm reading from the uh, the ESV translation. He says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. This is perhaps a familiar passage, and it has no doubt been used in a variety of ways, some good, some bad. It is also a challenging passage for many of us, because it seems to skirt dangerously close to the edge of compromise. However, the main thing I want you to consider and to ponder with me is Paul's posture in these verses. Paul's posture towards people who believed and lived differently than he did as a follower of Jesus. Paul couldn't be more all-encompassing in his approach. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. During his ministry, he was accused of compromising the gospel, of following the path of least resistance in order to gain a following. But that's not at all how Paul understood what he was doing or his desire to move towards people very different than himself. You see, for Paul, the gospel, by which I mean the good news about what God has done in and through Jesus Christ, required him to move towards other people. That's what Paul believed. And he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Therefore, whatever questions persist or challenges emerge in our current era of pluralism and conflict, of global interests that uh, oftentimes do not Uh, lead to the peace that we would like to see. Flexibility and the gospel are connected for Paul. It's the gospel that gives definition and shape to Paul's life and relationship. So think of it like this. For Paul, the gospel is a call to adjust. Not the message of the gospel, but our very lives. 
there's something about the gospel that Paul preached and we find in the pages of the New Testament that led Paul to readjust his life to fit the shape of other people's lives. And what is that something about the gospel? Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, writes this, in the most radical way God has adjusted to us in his incarnation and atonement. In Jesus Christ, he became a limited human being, vulnerable to suffering and death. On the cross, he submitted to our condition as sinners and died in our place to forgive us. In the most profound way, God has said to us in Christ, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you, though it means sacrifice for me. Now, I realize that to use this term, flexible, it's a bit slippery. Lots of questions should and do emerge from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. So let me just try to clarify it a bit. Paul earlier says, he says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Or as he says in Galatians 5, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, gospel flexibility is where freedom and love merge in the serving of others that they too might share with you in the blessings of the gospel. So we need first Christians today who are flexible, but we also need today Christians who are inflexible. Listen to what Paul writes again in Galatians chapter 1 now. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the opening verses of, of Galatians begins very differently than Paul's other letters. Instead of prayer and thanksgiving, he begins with shock and alarm. Verse 6 says he is astonished. He's angry. And the question is, why? And the answer is very plain for us to see that the Galatians were turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Now, perhaps you might be thinking, man, Paul uses some really strong language here. He's talking about people who should be eternally condemned for preaching something other than he preached. He uses really strong language. He seems pretty inflexible and intolerant. And what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. To change the gospel or to add to the gospel in any way is to reverse it. And why is that? Why does changing or adding to the gospel actually reverse it? And the answer is, there is an irreversible order to the gospel. In verse 6, again, Paul wrote to the Galatians, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. The order of the gospel begins with God making the first move. 
God calls us. We don't call God. God accepts us by his free grace. Then we follow him. Therefore, for Paul, any change to the gospel reverses that order. It makes the gospel about us and our performance rather than about God and his grace. So let's try a little thought experiment to test the order of the gospel in your life. Consider this question. How do you respond to success and failure? How do you respond to success and failure? When you succeed and things are going well, do you experience a sense of elated superiority? Or when you fail and things aren't going well, do you experience a sense of devastated inferiority? Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with delighting in your success. Success is a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with being sad and discouraged about failure. We're not into ignoring the realities of hurt and pain and sorrow. But if you begin to look down on others when you succeed, or you begin to hate yourself when you don't measure up, both of those are indicators that you've reversed the order of the gospel. In those moments, your good news or your bad news is about you and no longer about God. Your good news or your bad news has reduced your life to your competence, to your abilities, with no hope outside of yourself. Now, not only is Paul inflexible about the order of the gospel, he's inflexible about the truth of it. We're told here that the gospel is true because it belongs to God, not because it feels true or we think it's true or it sounds true, but because it actually is true. In verses 11 and 12 in Galatians 1, Paul writes, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is telling us the message that he and the other apostles preached and that we now have recorded for us in the Bible is not ours. It's God's. It's his good news. It's God's gospel, and he has given it to us as a gift. And therefore, because of that, Paul makes an astounding claim in verses 8 and 9. He tells us in these two verses that the gospel is the standard for judging all truth claims about God and his good news for the world. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There is no, no one is exempt from this. Not even Paul himself. As an apostle of Jesus, Paul says, even if I should show up and preach to you a gospel different than the one you've received, don't listen to me. No one is exempt from this. And the only reliable standard of judgment about God, ourselves, and the world is this gospel revealed by Jesus. And without this gospel, there is no good news that can bring hope to your life and healing to our world. See, gospel flexibility cultivates in us a life of faith that enters into life with others, however different they may be, with empathy, patience, and compassion. While gospel inflexibility cultivates in us a life of faith rooted in God's good news, that alone can rescue us from the peril of counterfeit 
Gospels, whether our own or someone else's. And therefore, when Christians are both flexible and inflexible in the ways that Paul teaches and models in the pages of the New Testament, there emerges a message of freedom for everyone, a message that is one of deep conviction and confidence coupled with deep humility and compassion for others, regardless of who they are or where they are from. It's a message of freedom because it's first a message of rescue. In verses 3 and 4 in the beginning of Galatians, Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, in these two verses, Paul gives us his gospel in a nutshell. But I want you to notice, before we look at what he does say, I want you to notice what he doesn't say. Paul makes no mention here of Jesus' teaching as a summary of Jesus' work and ministry. Why does he do that? Why does he leave that out? I think the answer is very simple. Jesus' teaching can't save you. We are not saved by following Jesus' teaching, but by his rescue. In fact, if you think Christianity is doing your best to follow what Jesus taught, his teaching will only condemn you. Furthermore, this gospel of rescue, it implies a devastating reality about our situation. We are helpless and hopeless, incapable of rescuing ourselves. We're like, I don't know if you've ever watched any of the Everest movies or documentaries, but to give you an idea of what I mean here by our desperate need, our helplessness, we're like, we're like the mountain climber scaling the treacherous walls of, of Everest only to discover upon losing our footing that we have no ice axe. And the ice axe is a life-saving tool for a mountain climber because with it, you can perform a self-rescue. Whereas you're sliding down the face of the mountain, there's a technique where you take your ice axe, turn over, slam it into the ice, and it can arrest your fall. But in fact, we are like the mountain climber who, after losing his footing, realizes he left his ice axe at home. And he has no way of rescuing himself. But the message of the gospel is a rescue from the outside, of God breaking in. It's a rescue that in no way depends on your success or your failures. It's a rescue that brings forgiveness and freedom from guilt, shame, and the brokenness of this world. It's a story of trading places in which Jesus came to take our place to live the life we should have lived and die the death we deserve to die in order to deliver us from this present evil age. Therefore, the rescue won by Jesus is not, it's not a removal or a retreat from the physical world, but rather a rescue from the power of it, the allure of it, from the sin resident in your own heart. It's a rescue from all the lies about God and ourselves that wreak havoc in every dimension of life. See, we are being told here that Jesus' death and resurrection began a whole new era of freedom in which the power of sin 
is broken. Creating us a longing for that great day when Jesus returns to make all things new. But we aren't there yet. We're not there yet. While freedom has come and the power of sin has been broken, the presence of sin remains. So how then does God nurture and sustain that longing for all things to be made right in you right here and now? How can Christians hold fast to the gospel of Christ and be agents of hope and blessing for the world at the same time? Paul's answer to that question for us is in verse 3 again in Galatians chapter 1 when he says, grace and peace to you. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These two words, grace and peace, they encapsulate all that God has accomplished through the rescue of Jesus. These are God's words of blessing to all who call upon His name. Grace to you. Life is a gift. Peace to you. Life is whole. So what kind of Christians do we need today? We need Christians who are flexible for the good of others, who are inflexible because of the beauty of the gospel, and who hold that message of freedom, of rescue, in the very depths of their being, such that it shapes the way that they speak, the way that they work, the way that you talk, the way you play, so that others would know that there is grace, that life is a gift, that there is peace, that in Jesus life can be made whole. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the pages of scripture where you have revealed this good news about Jesus. And we pray that wherever we find ourselves this morning, that you would have your way with us. We pray that you would work in us a love for others like you have loved us in Christ. Father, we pray for a humility and a confidence to hold fast to the good news as you have revealed it, not one that we strive for or someone else uh, presents us with, but help us to hold to the one message of freedom, of rescue, that brings grace and peace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing the doxology together. Praise God from